they hit drives on tour every week and you see golfers play, you hit a drive and you just pick up the tee and you walk off. You can't pick up the tee at the old course. You never know where it's going to finish. You know, there's no, it's because downwind the ball runs 100 yards and it's like the ball can go, you could land on the right-hand side of the fairway and miss the fairway to the left, you know, if it's going to run 100 yards with sort of bounces it gets. So you've never got to pick up the tee moment at the old course, which is, I don't know, people think it's fluky and there's a bit of luck involved, but there's no luck involved if the, if Tomo, Nicholas, Seve, Faldo, Tiger won there so much, that's that's actually removing luck if you actually analysed it properly. Put another log on the fire Nobody here is getting tired Hello, this is Alan Shipnuck back for another Fire Drill podcast. I'm delighted to be joined by Michael Bamberger, Matt Janella, and U.S. Open champ Jeff Ogilvie. Uh, we're going to be talking about the old course and the Open Championship and all the related fun issues. Real quick, want to thank our corporate sponsors who help us keep the lights on here at the Fire Pit Collective. That's PowerPoint, uh, Seed Golf, and Link Soul. Uh, we've talked about each of these in- companies individually. We, we, we believe in them. We, we use their products. We love them. And so thank you for the support to to all those uh, fine places. And uh, so let, let's, just, let's just jump right in here, Jeff. What makes the old course such a charming test of golf and, and, and such a fun tournament venue? Well, I mean, the name helps, you know. I mean, it's the, the OG, right? It's the original golf course. Um, it's been there forever. Just driving from Edinburgh is an exciting experience. I feel like the closer you get to the town, the more you start seeing sort of the buildings and, it's just so old and it's just such a – just the town, I think, makes it as much as anything else. I mean, there's grooves in the sidewalk from the metal spikes over the last like, few hundred years walking up the side. And you're actually out of place if you're not wearing golf clothes when you go anywhere there. And it's truly just um, – it's just in the – it's just in the buildings and it's in the town, just the culture of the game over the last four or five hundred years. Um, and the golf course itself is just its the best first tee in golf by, just by some stretch, I think. It's a very nerve-wracking, exciting, thrilling sort of experience just teeing off on the old course. And you've got this very docile, gentle first hole, which doesn't really give you any sense of what's to come. And then you get in the second hole and you just get further and further away and sort of spotted with these random bunkers all over the place. And the course makes no sense at all. And then the more you play it, the more you play it, gradually it just it sort of shows itself and it doesn't, you can't work it out. It, it, it'll show you when it's ready to show you, you know, and you've got to play it lots and lots of times and lots of different weather conditions. And gradually it sort of starts making it a sense to the point when you get to the, you, you come to a realization or a, an awaking or a moment of enlightenment that you realize that this is actually why golf is such a great sport, because this is the starting point of the whole thing. And it set it off in such an amazing direction. Um, and it just makes you it makes you a better golfer and it makes you like golf more than you did before. Uh, and then as you come back into town, you're getting closer and closer and closer and closer to town. The spires on the cathedrals and the buildings are getting taller and taller and you're getting closer to the 17th, which sort of you've got in your mind for the last few holes. And then you get to come up 18, which is the flip of which is the flip of the first with this big wide fairway. And you've even outside the open, you've got spectators there crossing the fairway when you've got to wait for spectators to cross the fairway while you're about to play 18. Um, people clap good, applaud good approach shots on 18, even on a public play day. Um, 
and you come all the way back into town and aim into the clubhouse on the last. It's just everything. As I said, I, I just think golf is such an amazing sport because it got set off in such a good direction by the old course to begin with. I think we should just end this podcast. Like the, 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 that's I mean, a wrap. It's a wrap. It's a wrap. What do we say on top of that? Transcribe it, print it out for your grandchildren because you're not going to get a better description. <laughs> I mean, I'm literally about to. I'm like actually. No, I, I am. Matt. I, I am. I, I have a tear in my like. I was like, oh my god, that was that was like the a- only only quibble, Jeff. I would say it's the trolleys that create the rut in the sidewalks. In other words, <laughs> the gents come down with their trolleys right down through town, and uh, it's that was beautiful, Jeff. Well, I mean, Matt and Michael, you guys like myself, we've been privileged to to be there for to be in St. Andrews during open weeks and just during regular play. I mean, what, what are some of your, your favorite memories and some of your favorite experiences there? Well, yeah, um, I was very fortunate. I got a trip over to the UK with dad. My dad was visiting his sort of aging mother who I'd basically never met. Um, and she lived in the Isle of Man, this little island um, between the UK and Ireland. Um, so we, the whole purpose of the trip was to visit her so he could see her one last time. But he sort of took me with him and we sort of landed in London and we got a rental car and we just drove around and I was already frothing on golf and I'd read a lot of books by then, which is kind of weird for a 16-year-old kid. But we ended up traversing the country and we got to the old course at one point. And um, just as I said, it's just the excitement when you come into the town is is worth the trip just to go to the town and visit. Um, and Normally, when you play the old course, you've got to go in the ballot. You can't book a tea time, really. You go and you've got to put your name down with the starter for a tea time the next day. And so we did that. We were pretty late into town, four or five o'clock the day before, and we put our name down. The guy says, look, you're doubtful here, but you never know. Um, You'll see how you go. And we missed out on the ballot, but he said, if you don't get the ballot, come down as a two ball. There might be a two ball who gets on and they might let you join. So we turned up at like seven or eight in the morning and waited around. And finally, there's this Swedish couple who said, yeah, we'd love to play with another two. So we got out that first day we were there, which was um, incredibly for- fortunate. And we went out with them and played and played it at 16. And I was in love for the first moment. I mean, I kind of want to hate it because everyone historically has hated it first time. Um, and Bobby Jones tore up his car and walked off the course. And I mean, there's a lot of stories like that. Um, but I loved every minute because I, I, I knew I, I wanted to like it before I got there. So it, was, it wasn't really a fair thing, but had beautiful weather, played it, had a great time. Um, so I was lucky to play it at 16. And then the, I played the St. Andrews Lynx Trophy, an amateur tournament, probably the coolest amateur tournament in the world by a long stretch. Um, it used to cost us 40 pounds to play the St. Andrews Lynx Trophy, which was around on the old and the new first day and then 36 on the old on the Sunday. So you would, or the, second day so you would get a practice round on the old and the new and three rounds around the old and another round on the new for 40 pounds this is the best deal in the world with all the best golfers in the world um played with justin rose in that and a ton of the guys that you sort of see today or you've seen over the time everyone who can play that tournament does and it was so i played it a lot growing up as an amateur and then the three opens there um a few other visits few other visits scotty and i adam used to come and going camp a couple of times we camped in the old course hotel before an open when an open was somewhere else and we'd stay there and we'd play all around five like london links and leaving links and crail and all the st andrews courses and it's just an incredible region but the old course is just just the place yeah and my first open i finished 
I was wasn't playing very well the whole time, and I just snuck in and make the cut. I think I parted a birdie the 18th on at 9:20 on Friday night to make the cut, and had a nice <laughs> week. <laughs> and it was really slow play in the open at um, St Andrews, which is my only pick probably at playing in the open at St Andrews because all the double greens, like in us precious pros, we're not going to hit when somebody else is hitting, so we're always waiting for somebody else to putt and hit a shot. And you're always you're often playing the holes from the other fairway the corresponding fairway on the way in because the strategy a lot of times is to go up the other side. Um, but finished fifth in the end, that one, that Tiger won his second one, sort of had a backdoor fifth, birdied 16, birdied, birdied 15, 17 and 18. I had a birdied 17 on Sunday. It was a um, pretty nice feeling, hit it up on the green about 25 feet and made the part. That was a pretty nice feeling and you get that fantastic roar that you get in the British Open that's unique to, only to that tournament. And then Bertie the last to finish fifth, which was pretty exciting. So um, lots of good memories. It's been a pretty – learn how to drink scotch whiskey on that top floor, that whiskey bar up the top of the Old Coast Hotel. That sort of taught me how to like scotch. So um, a lot of times in St. Andrews. That's tremendous. I love it. I think it. there's only one slight note we could add to everything that's been said. Uh, it's so obvious, but there may be some people who don't know. It's a muni. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say it's closed on Sundays and used as a parkland for the locals. That's the best part about it. And I think it's, and that's Scotland again. And it's not only the old course that set off golf in the right direction. It's Scotland. Um, we all, everyone, all the other countries managed to mess it up, but they started it off so well. It's, it's, the, it's the town's land. It's public land. You can't, nobody owns it. There's a golf club that operates and sort of looks after the land, but nobody owns it. Um, and the golfers, generally, the public has a right of way over the golfers. You know, it's like their land. Like, you can play golf here if you like, but don't get in the way of anyone who's just trying to have a good time, you know. Um, such a fantastic uh, ethos. Um, and golf kind of lost its way. And, and the places sort of grasp that concept that this is sort of a game for all and a bit of this is a nice area and you can play golf if you want, but let everyone out, out here enjoy it as well. I think... Um, it's fantastic when you go there Sunday and there's people walking their dogs on the 18th and sitting down having a picnic in the Valley of Sin and stuff. It's just incredible. It's just um, makes it even more special. It's uh, we ju- I just I just I just saw it for the first time on a Sunday after having gone there several times and played fortunate enough to play the course several times. The first time I played it was actually with Alan, which is a whole separate story, which I hope we get to. But yes. I. It, I I rolled up on a Sunday and was just captivated and astounded by the visuals, <clears throat> which was the walking of the dogs, the throwing the balls with kids, the the picnicking in the in the valley of sin. Like it was all happening right there, and I was like, oh, this really is closed on Sundays, and this really is open to the public, and that it it made me feel exactly that same sentiment, which is. How did we lose our way? <clears throat> How did we get so far removed from what this is as it relates to the game of golf? And we we were just chatting just before coming on and and the beauties of some municipals <clears throat> haven't lost their way, like Goat Hill Park, where dogs are allowed, where you can where John Ashworth essentially has created that ethos, which is <clears throat> that golf for all, come as you are. This is your recreational time. Uh, who am I to say what you wear or how, you know, yeah, they're general rules, but 
otherwise, go have fun. Utilize this land in a way that makes sense as a community. It just It's just so special when you come upon it and feel like, you know, and, and again, the idea that the old course is it and has been it for hundreds of years is like, just look back to that as your guide. If you're managing a municipal, if you are in, you know, if you are a municipality, this is it. Well, might, might add to that. It's also, it's truly our Mecca. And when you go there, there, there's a very large expectation that you'll play with people who do not speak English. Uh, people come from all over the world to play that golf course because people all over the world love this game. Uh, I think that's part of the beauty of it as well. I can't think of another golf course where you would say that so clearly. Yeah, well, okay, since Matt mentioned it, we just have to tell the story. We'll do the short version of the first time we played the old course. This was 97. We went on this bender that was organized by some other Sports Illustrated guys. It was 16 rounds and nine days. First time I'd ever been in Scotland. Really somewhat uneducated about the Lynx golf experience. And so we got to the old course and didn't realize you had to show proof of handicap. We did not have any cards. This is before smartphones. And this um, this grumpy old starter in the shack said, well, you'll have to provide proof if you're going to play the course. And so this was in the, this was early morning. And so in Scotland, we were racking our brains. You know, everyone in New York we knew was asleep. Even in California, it was probably 11 o'clock at night. But Matt's brother was living in Hawaii. So with the time change, so we were like, oh, we've got to call Sean. And so we, we rang him up on some you know public phone and explained the situation and asked if he could concoct some counterfeit letter attesting to our handicaps. And so he, he, he has some graphic design skills. So he made up, was it the Turtle Bay Country Club? Like a phony letterhead. And and instead, not only did he write like our, our handicaps, it was like this long flowery letter about how we were upstanding members of the club and we'd, uh, we were the chairs of this committee and we had volunteered for, for this and that. And it was this unbelievable letter that he faxed over to the starter. And I'll never forget this, this, this like wrinkly, um, you know, old Scottish dude with the gin blossoms on his nose, like wraps on the glass. He's like, gentlemen, your letter has been received. And it was like, oh, thank God. And we got to go out and play the old course. But it was one of the all-time shenanigans. Well, yeah. And then the thing was, is that we had to get picked in the ballot. Like we had to wait. We had to get it. We got to get an available time because we didn't get the ballot box. We had to get an available time. And we had to get this this proof of handicap. And so while we were waiting for a spot, we went to that little payphone that I still think I've, I saw recently right down the street, uh, right near the museum. And that's where we called, we called my brother and he, 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 he pretended to be some sort of director of golf at Turtle Bay golf club down the street in Hawaii. And that's how we were able to get on. I mean, we had, we had handicap. We weren't, we weren't in theory sort of, you know, violating any kind of, yeah, we, know, we know how to play golf, but we didn't have any of the yeah. necessary credentials. That's actually the lowest my handicaps ever been. I think he made me like a plus one or something. <laughs> And then we went out back. We went out again. We went back out for another 18 holes. We got separated, but we went back out and we got to play two 18 hole rounds in one day. Yeah. And, and to your point, Michael, I got paired with these um, airline pilots and they were Scandinavian. I, I can't remember which country they hailed from. And, you know, they, they weren't speaking English, and uh, but they were good players. And it was just like um, it is it is an amazing melting pot. And uh, I, I and. 
you know, we let, let's talk about the merits of the old course, Jeff. I, I want your take on this as as it's become so much of a power game and they have tipped it out as much as they can. You're now teeing off on three or four different golf courses, it feels like, where they've they've put these new tees for the open to try and keep up. And um I mean for for the recreational golfer it's as it's as fun as it gets and the, the challenge is never ending. Um, but for for the best pros, I mean, does does the old course still stand the test of time? What was your take on that? I think so. <clears throat> I mean, it's disappointing some of where the, some of the tees are now. That you kind of have to, because um, the coolest part about the old course is probably you you finish the first. I mean, one of the, those ten original rules are those whatever eight original rules of golf. It's like tee up within one club length of the previous hole. <laughs> you used to just you just putt out and you tee it up next to the hole and you'd go. That was the rules. The old course actually does that. The, the traditional original tees are basically touching the previous green. You play the first, you walk to the edge of the first green, you play the second, you walk to the edge of the second green, you play the third. You do that all the way around. Um, now we walk back 100 yards on every hole, um, which is necessary. <laughs> um, and, and that's a debate for a different time. Um, but I think it generally does. I don't think par you've got to take par away from the equation and just see what questions does it ask and it just it asks every question you've got to um move the ball both ways you've got to understand you've got to as i said before you have to play the course a lot because everyone's complaint when they first buy the old course is they say it's blind but it isn't blind it's actually it shows you where to hit it you just have to play the whole you play the course enough to sort of start learning what to look at um you you it gradually she shows herself over time and playing it in lots of different conditions bunkers that you thought were just made no sense at all and this place is is weird the next day when it blows into the wind all of a sudden you're hitting it into those bunkers that you didn't even think were sort of relevant bunkers um and as time goes on it's the ultimate sort of think test for a golfer um it's an execution test because your ball you're never on a flat lie your ball's always above your feet or below your feet down slope up slope the bunkers have some otherworldly mystical magnetism to them that, that it just goes from – you think you've given it 40, 30, 40 yards of – I mean, you can give it 20 yards of sort of air on the right or left of some of these bunkers. It's the width of a US Open fairway, and the ball will still find its way into it. Um, so you've got to really understand the course, what wind does to a Lynx, and um, hit all the shots. I mean, if you look historically back, I mean – Peter Thompson won there, and Jack won there, Tiger dominated there, Faldo won there when he was number one in the world. It sh- it, it, it's a it's a sort of a platform for the best to show why they're the best because it's a complete test of golf. Um, and I don't think that changes even with shorter clubs into the holes. I really don't because you the question you're doing it with different clubs, but the questions are still asked. And I think often wedges into greens at the old course is sometimes a disadvantage because it's easier to be running the ball in with a six iron sometimes than it is with a wedge. So I think the scores get a lot lower and it's a lot longer than it used to be. But I think the the fascination there isn't really the hitting it straight up the fairway and hitting it straight on the green. It's finding your best way around it. And sometimes that can be 30, 40 degrees off to the left or 30, 40 degrees off to the right. I mean, Quite often you'll play it up the fifth on the 14th hole, which is you're making a 550-yard hole, 650 yards, but it's avoiding the bunkers and making sure you you don't hit it into hell bunker on your second shot. You're making sure two shots before that that you can't hit it into hell bunker and stuff like that. So I think that's all still there. 
I think you'll see great players win there or players with complete games. Um, putting it is an amazing test. I mean, I think one of the funnest parts about the Open there is that the fairways and the greens are basically the same speed. You know, they're, they're last a couple of times we've been there, they've had to put dots around the edge of the green just so we can see where the pin position is um, is measured from because it really is irrelevant. The ball acts the same fairway to green, and I think that's sort of beautiful. And I, I, when we lost that in golf, and you can't really create it in any other places but links, but I think that's one of the coolest parts about it. And I think maybe the best part about it, why I think it's a great test, is the yardage books are almost irrelevant. You know, um, you cannot play the old course of a yardage book. I mean, the yardage books are a lot better now, and they sort of give you lines and stuff and all that. But you, re- as I said, you just have to play the course so much and have the imagination to realize how to avoid the bunkers and how best get around there. And that's not a yardage book thing. That's just an open-minded sort of use your experience, use all of your requisite skills to sort of navigate around it with avoiding avoiding the bunkers and creating angles where you can actually play it from. And I don't think that's got anything to do with distance. I think that's um, it's a deeper version of golf, which I think is always interesting, regardless of how low it is relative to par. It, it's still, to me, one of the most amazing things that Tiger Woods ever did in his uh, unparalleled career is that he played 72 holes in an open championship at the old course and didn't hit it into a single bunker. <laughs> it's just un- like... Incredible. It's mind-boggling because, as you said, that you know a lot of the the, the <laughs> land slopes towards they're like funnels. They you can hit a good shot and it's still just by one yard it, it catches the wrong bounce and it just funnels fifteen yards into the bunker. Like it's just it's absolutely incredible. Um, you can almost not pick up. You see pros pick up the tee. You know they drives they hit drives on tour every week, and you see golfers play. You hit a drive and you just pick up the tee and you walk off. You can't pick up the tee at the old course. You never know where it's going to finish. You know there's no it's because downwind the ball runs a hundred yards and it's like the ball can go. You could land on the right hand side of the fairway and miss the fairway to the left. You know if it's going to run a hundred yards, with sort of bounces it gets. So you've never got to pick up the tee moment at the old course, which is I don't know. People think it's fluky and there's a bit of luck involved, but. There's no luck involved if the if Tomo, Nicholas, Seve, Faldo, Tiger won there so much. That's that's actually removing luck if you actually analysed it properly. Um, I think yeah. it's fantastic. Michael, you you've been referred to as the um, the poet of the Lynx land. Um, uh, you know, Jeff Jeff plays the course one way with with his boundless skill. You you love the ground game to the point that the the E Club that you invented was in Lee Trevino's bag at the old course. Um, so what is it about, about that canvas that particularly, you know, stirs your soul? Well, thank you for remembering that, Alan. And I think it's telling that Jeff just referred, you never hear this anymore, but people used to refer to ships as with a feminine pronoun and Jeff just referred to the old course with a she and, uh, and Trevino after he went at Marion said, you know, I just fell in love with a, you know, a girl named Marion. I don't even know her last name or something like that. (laughs) But in other words, the point being is that a really great golf course uh, uh, does come alive. And part of the life of this golf course, uh, this wouldn't just be true for Jeff and Jeff's level. It would be true for everybody. There are so many ways to play every single shot there. Like if you go to if you go to the press room at Quad Cities, a guy will say, you know, I hit a three when, you know, in the fairway, hit a six iron hole high, made the putt. You could never go through your card that quickly at the old course for any of us 
because there's so many options on every single shot. And, uh, and that's part of the fascination. You know, I had this conversation with, uh, with, with, with Fred Couples' first U.S. Pardon me. First Open Championship was uh, 84 um, at the Old Course, and he fell in love with it completely. This was astounding to me, but I'm going I'm, I'm to do it in the form of a question. Jeff, what is the longest shot you've ever hit into 18 at, um, at the Old Course? Um, I had a couple of times in the Lynx Trophy where it played into the wind and we really struggled to get it to the road, um, which is what, 120 front, 100, 120 front, something like that. Um, yeah, so probably an 8-iron from 110 or something, probably. That's Fred had the exact same thing. I couldn't believe it because I played in a lot of different wins, but I've never played in a win, you know, and, and even that, even for the ordinary golfer, you know, to hit your driver into the valley, it's in, right, in still conditions or downwind, it's not that hard. But Fred in his first year on Sunday uh, hit driver that maybe just made it to the road and then he hit a nine iron, which he hold uh, <laughs> to, uh, to end his day. So uh, on any given day, the, the, the golf course is so, so different. Um, uh, just to add one little thing to this that that we would we would all know instinctively, but but just to say it out loud, when you think about how how old the old course is, and that there's really no known architect, and that uh, uh, Charles Blair McDonald, uh, you know, great American aristocrat who who basically invented golf in America in a way, went over there, fell in love with the game, and brought it back, and started building golf courses around the turn of the last century. And then this golden age period of, of architects, and Jeff Smith has studied this because he's working at Medina, but Medina and Marion, which we've already mentioned, and Pine Valley and Riviera and almost every other course, they're sort of interpreting what McDonald already brought to the United States right from St. Andrews. Uh, so I guess what I'm trying to say is that that multiplier and feeder effect of St. Andrews is felt everywhere in golf. How, how about how about this? <clears throat> um, if you take old Tom and his impact on architecture and you take Donald Ross, who came and spent time with old Tom and essentially learned from old Tom. And then Donald Ross comes to the U.S. and builds Fort Bragg, I believe. And Pete Dye worked at Fort Bragg and used to call Donald Ross from time to time to sort of better understand uh, the essence of Fort Bragg as maybe even a superintendent at the time. Pete Dye goes on to be an architect, and then Bill Core works for Pete Dye and then goes on to be an architect. Essentially, you have lineage from old Tom all the way to Bill Core, who's currently still building golf courses. It's beautiful. Yeah, I mean. How cool is that? It's really cool. It's very, very cool. I mean, you know, the, 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 these lines through the game are part of why we love it so much. And, and, you know, and Augusta National is neat, and we all love being at Augusta National, but you know, the the fact that the starting point here is that the whole world can come and play this place. By the way, I've never had the experience of showing up at St. Andrews and not being able to get on the old course. And I'm not talking about calling friends, you know, who are members places. I just mean showing up at the shack like, like Jeff did with his dad, giving him your name and sitting there and reading a book until they call your name. What's that you talk about Augusta? Augusta, that was Jones's St. Andrews in America. Um, that was his whole point. If you When you play holes like 5 and 14, it's like that's just – that's all that is, is the old course. It's just, it's just so obviously the old course. And so America's most famous golf course has direct connection. It was a, he was trying to mimic the shots you needed at the old course in Georgia. 
Like it's the effect is incredible. Yeah, I mean that's that's why it, it stands the test of time is because it, it inspires us and um, it, the the shot values and and the strategy and uh, you know I remember the first time I played it just standing there looking at those double greens that you know were a hundred yards wide and I think on uh, on fifteen or was it maybe it might have been sixteen but I hit like a vicious hook. And I had about a 120 yard putt from the, you know the other green, and um, I lagged it up to like eight feet. It's one of my favorite memories in all of golf. Like, um, you know, I'd never seen that before. And then, um, and then you go you go to these these neo courses, and they're excited because they've built a couple of double greens, and and um, like it's like the, these 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 ideas are are so enduring, and they're. The, the simplicity also. Everybody know the mnemonic to remember the double greens. It, they always add up to what? Oh, the magic 18. number of all magic numbers. Yeah, yeah. eighteen. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's. But it's so great. It's so great because there's no human ego involved. Like the, the course, the old course created the game. The game didn't create the old course. I mean, people build golf courses to play golf on the, the old course created the game. That's why it's so great. That's why all that bunkers are in the right place. And the whole place makes sense because the game evolved around that piece of land, you know, and that guy, that piece of land created the game we play now, you know, that's, that's why it's timeless and it works. Cause it's, uh, everything is where it is because that's just where the game was best played from. And the, 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 the property created that, you know, that's why they're such magnetic bunkers because they, they weren't bunkers and the ball just always ended up there. And so it ended up being a hole. So it created, it just became a bunker. That's where the ball always ended up. You know, it's fantastic. Jeff, have you, have you How ever about, played the old course reverse? Do you know about this? Yeah, they do it once or twice a year. I think it's fascinating. I've never actually done it. You've got to be there on the right day, right? Um, yeah, well, you've got to plan it all out. It would be really interesting because a lot of the holes, make a lot of sense the way we play them now, but a lot of them make no sense. Like the 12th hole is the most ridiculous hole in the world. And you, you play it backwards. It's like, oh, okay, now I get it. Exactly. You know? so uh, I did it in, in 2004. Uh, it's, on, it's on April Fool's Day is when, when they do it, which shows that RNA does have a sense of humor. And um, if you can think of the, you know, the, the course is basically a loop and normally you play it counterclockwise. But in, for most of the history of, of the old course, they played it month by month in, different, in the other direction. Uh, one time you go clockwise, one time you go counterclockwise. And I, I'm not saying this to be like a hipster. I actually liked it better in reverse. The, some of the holes made more sense and some of the shots were more fun. And, but, I, you know, in after, after World War II, when... It depends uh, if your miss is right or left, doesn't really it? I mean, if you, if you miss it right... Yeah, it, it totally does. <laughs> it totally does. But, um, and... It's wild to think that that's possible. Now, Tom Doak mimicked <laughs> the whole concept um, at Forest Dunes and did an incredible job. But um, the, the, it just it melts your brain to think about like the, this golf course can you can play in either direction and um, and you know the, when when you play it in reverse, the iconography is totally different. Like you're hitting a draw around the old course hotel down the road hole and um, stuff like that. You know, it's it it still works and. Um, anyway, I'll have to, I'll have to see if I can find my old story that I wrote for sports illustrate. And if we can, if we can somehow, I'll link to it on, on firepitcollective.com because it, it's just, it's, it, it tells you how great that piece of land is, how clever the, 
the hazards are and, and the bunkers that you, you can go either direction and it's still a fabulous test. You know, um, uh, we spent some time over there, the fire pit collective rolled in there. You know, we were, we were hired by MasterCard to do some stories leading into the open, the 150th open. And so the idea we came up with was pay homage to old Tom Morris. And we went in with just sort of the general sense of like, let's try to learn as much as we can about old Tom Morris. And we started reaching out to historians and, and teachers and, uh, you know, the, we, we stopped by the museum. Uh, we, we went to local business owners, like the, the, and then we ran into and got access to Sheila Walker, his great, great granddaughter, Michael, you, you wrote a beautiful, uh, little, basically little mini essay about Sheila Walker. Cause you happened to bump into her in one of the open, uh, you know, wandering around during one of the open championships, which we read leading into it. And the whole goal was like, can we find Sheila Walker too? Which we ended up getting a two and a half hour interview with her that we ultimately ended up being the spine of our four part series. That's on firepitcollective.com now. And then we got to go back for patrons day, but the, the, I have be, I always was fascinated by old Tom and then getting a chance to speak to his great, great granddaughter, who, by the way, lives still above the shop, looking out over the window, out the window, overlooking the 18th green. She still lives there. She's in her 70s. She's like one of the most magnificent people I've ever interviewed in my life. She tends her garden in the backyard of what literally is the home at the home of golf. I mean, this is the home of golf on the door. It still says like old Tom Morris, you know, house, like this is, this is the Tom Morris house. And <clears throat> we got to wander her garden with her. And Michael, you would ask her like, Oh, do you, you know, do you have the same green thumb that he had, you know, sort of as con his contributions to the agronomy of golf, most notably top dressing, which is still used, you know, wildly today. And she said, oh, no, 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 I have green. It's green fingers. It's not green thumb. It's green fingers. She, to this day, still walks across the 18th green in the first tee out to the beach, collects a little bucket of sand that she then brings back to her yard and top dresses her little patch of grass that she has in her backyard. <laughs> this is like, this is still happening right now as we speak. Great marketing op for Fire Pit Collective. We go over there with water bottles, fill it with St. Andrew's Bay beach sand, put it on eBay. <laughs> sell it. Sell it. <laughs> Actually, she said that not monetize all beaches. a beach. <laughs> not all beaches like are did, good. Like have good in, um, what's that movie, Alan? Um, Chariots, of, of course. course. Yes. That's, yeah, no, that's they, they use that beach. But, you know, she points out, Sheila points out that that not all beaches have the kind of minerals that that uh, help, you know, grass grow. And fortunately, the St. Andrews Beach does. And we get top dressing because, as the story was told to us, that one of old Tom's workers was walking through the course with a wheelbarrow full of sand and it toppled over. And so they scooped it back up and they continued on with the wheelbarrow and afterwards noticed that where that sand had dropped and there was this top dressing of sorts, this, the grass was growing better than the other grass. So we incorporated that and said, well, let's put it all over the golf course. And that's top dressing. Amazing. Uh, uh, 
Jeff, do you have any memory? Can you remember specifically being announced uh, on the uh, on the first tee, the first time you would have uh, played the old course in an open? I imagine by uh, Ivor Robeson. Yeah, oh, I don't specifically remember <laughs> it because I don't think I would be hearing it. I mean, you're so. Hmm. I've open or not. I don't think the headspace changes on that tee. It's just a nervous experience. It's yeah, just it it's an incredible. There's an incredible – there can be nobody there and there's atmosphere if, just for you. I mean, it's a self-created atmosphere, isn't it, when you hit that tee shot? It's um, – I mean, Ivor was the best. I mean, he's had such – the most distinct voice. Um, no real specific memories, but completely freaking out. Like, I, you get nervous on the first tee of majors, but it's different. It's different there. This is, there's a whole other element to it. Getting the ball on the tee is pretty tough, and you just hope to make contact. You, it's very thankful that it's an easy shot. Generally, um, just bump a little iron down there and on you go. But just to your story about Freddie before, I've seen the fir- I've played the first hole where I've hit driver six iron short of the burn. Wow! And I've played it where I've hit five, and I've played it where I've hit five iron in the burn off the tee. So yeah, the course changes every day. But yeah, it's a freakish. It's a it's a special nerves though. It's a happy. It's not a scared nervous that tee is it? It's just a respect for the whole place. Nervous and. Um, you're kind of a bit on your own too. Like the first tees in majors, usually there's people everywhere. It's quite, it's quite a rowdy atmosphere. The, the, the spectators don't really start there until you get down to sort of 100 meters off the tee, sort of thing, on the right, and they're way away on the left. Um, so you kind of just with you, the group and the star there, which is a kind of a nice. And a few of the the blue coats of on the steps with a gin and tonic or a glass of red or something, having a look, having a look down the, the fairway with you, but. Um, yeah, it's a fantastic first tee shot. Wow. It's the best. I like how Jordan Spieth just said um, this last week, you know, that, that an open at St. Andrews is is the best tournament we play. I think he threw arguably in there, which I wish he hadn't, but um, I think that was he was just being polite. I mean, you know, a, a U.S. Open at Pebble Beach or at, a, at Oakmont, you know, that's special. But um, can, can we say without a doubt that this is this is the greatest – feather in the cap of any golfer to win the open at the old course. Is there, is that even in, in a debate? And, and, and to that point, Alan, and I know we don't do this easily, but the career of Zach Johnson is astounding for, for Zach Johnson, who might be sneaky long, but isn't long, long to have one at the old course in Augusta national is a real incredible statement on his golfing skill and his intelligence. Uh, he just, he, for whatever, and now he's a Ryder Cup captain. For whatever reason, he doesn't really—he's not in the pantheon conversation, but—and he's not. But he's damn, damn close. And those two things alone, you know, uh, for John—you know, John Daly, how he didn't win a, a Masters is almost uh, a mystery. But the fact that he did win there, playing it totally differently, I imagine, from the way that uh, Jeff plays it. I remember Nicholas was almost freaking out by some of the shots that Daly uh, was playing when he won there because it's just like that's not how you play the old course. But the but the truth is, it is how he plays the old course because there's numerous ways to play it. In fact, Fred said the same thing the other day. He was playing with Gary Player those first two rounds in '84, and, he, and Gary Player said, "Son, you're a good golfer, but uh, that's not how you play the old course." And Fred's like, "I didn't know any better." That's awesome. <laughs> Oh, so Michael, you're you're actually a voter for the Hall of Fame. Let's put you on the spot. Is Zach Johnson a Hall of Famer? He's got like I think a dozen uh, wins. He's got those well, two majors at, at the holiest of holies. Yes or no? Hall of Famer. 
I, I can say this uh, because I said it to Fred's face. I didn't vote for Fred. Uh, so uh, I uh, uh, and he's in. So now that Fred's in, it would be completely, totally unfair not to have Zach in. Davis is in, Fred's in, yes, he's, you know, Freerick's getting in. Uh, I'm voting for Ogilvy just because of the uh, the introduction he gave to the old course. Uh, <laughs> Lifetime achievement lifetime game. Just a very quick note for those who don't know Ivor Robeson, that name will, will fade in time over the years, but, you know, the four of us know that name. He was a longtime starter. Uh, he had a, many eccentric habits, which we won't get into now. But one of his things, and Jeff, help me if I don't have this quite right, is he would, he would say the name of the player – he would say on the tee and then, well, I'll just do it like he did it. on the tee from Australia. And then there'd be a little pause and then it would be like, he'd be surprised, but like he's got the name there and he's looking at the guy on the tee from Australia, Jeff Ogilvy. <laughs> <laughs> well done. That was very good. Yes. It was, why the pause? Yeah. yeah. No, it's it a dramatic pause. Oh, dramatic effect. Janella has snuck under the first tee on the tee from USA. Not Janella. <laughs> and he would stand on the first tee at the open from 7 o'clock till 4.20 and never leave the first tee for anything. It's unbelievable. Like four days in a row. Absolutely unbelievable. Never ate, Just never a done. total legend. And by the way, in, I, I know you players don't like it, but we like it. The idea of starting everybody on that first tee and everybody finishing on 18 is absolutely part of the appeal of the whole thing. Agreed. And they killed that U.S. Open at Marion when they did this weird, weird way of, of starting things. But, you know, you, you get unlucky, but you get lucky, but it plays out over time. We're Can I? Uh, I'm realizing my role and my role in this podcast is just to randomly insert some really cool old Tom <laughs> anecdotes. But um, in, in the in the in the in the um, production of what we created uh, this four part series, we there was a snow day. One of the days we woke up, <laughs> we looked out the window, and the old course is covered in snow. It was like it was like two inches of snow on on the old course. I mean. Uh, and we were like, oh, my God. And we essentially went out and, you know, we had snowball fights. We built snowmen. It was we you know, flew the drone. It was like it was like a playground. And by two o'clock, it had all burnt off. But we ended up calling and meeting up with Gordon McKee, the, the current uh, superintendent, the course manager, they call him. And would you believe that he's only the ninth course manager since old Tom Morris? <laughs> He's he's and he says to this day that, you know, old Tom's face is in the side of the RNA clubhouse near the clock, I believe, overlooking the old course. And he says, you know, that matters to him. like he thinks about him every day that he's managing this piece of turf, which is just tremendous. The, the, the ninth superintendent. That is neat. I think there's something we're leaving out here. Of course, it's a great university town. It's got wonderful museums. It's got night restaurants. One of the great drinking towns of all time ever anywhere. Now, Jeff made, Jeff made a reference to it, uh, you know, drink, uh, drinking scotch whiskey on the – or whiskey on the uh, – uh, up in the Old Chris Hotel. But it's a load of bars. And, of course, you walk to your hotel. I say this not as a heavy drinker myself, but if you choose to be a heavy drinker, it's a great place to be a heavy drinker as long as you look both ways before crossing <laughs> the street uh, because traffic can be, can be wild there. But basically, you're playing golf. You're going out for dinner, having a drink or two, and stumbling in your room, and then doing it again, and then and then as as we've all alluded to, um, 
more good golf courses than you can shake a stick at right in the surrounding area. I had the experience when, when Harrington, <clears throat> when Harrington won at Carnoustie, I was staying in St. Andrews with my friend Burtis Downs. And one night I wanted to pay a green fee, but there was no one to pay a green fee to. So I just went out on the first hole and started playing the old course. And then somehow I made a mistake and I'm like, where am I? And I had sort of wheeled, found my way from the old course onto the new. At that moment, Tom Doak, who, used to, who caddied one summer uh, at the old course, he called. He just happened to call. And I, he said, well, tell me where you are. And I described it. He said, oh, yeah, I know where you are. Yeah, you slipped over onto the new. He said, you see that dune? Play for over that dune. You'll be back <laughs> back in action. And then I played and, and, then, and I played literally right through 17T. When I got to 17T, it was about 10 o'clock at night. And there was a gang, you know, waiting to finish. But, you know, I played 16 holes by myself and two hours that is outstanding michael what is the best part i've ever made in my entire life the best part that you've ever made in your entire life under yes. nocturnal conditions you know the answer <laughs> i do know the answer but i don't know if i should share it i'm going to leave it to you 2015 open um you know i'm not one for discretion you know that you guys know that at this point um me michael and our young colleague sean zock sneaked out to, um to play the 18th hole at the old course at uh midnight or so and we just took a took a couple clubs and i had a pretty good drive you know it's all feel it was, it was dark got it across the road and i think I only had a seven iron had a little little knockdown seven and um hit it to about 20 feet pretty good first putt left myself like three feet and now some some dudes materialized on the back rail there overlooking the green we thought they were security so we we're all nervous we we're gonna get you know sent to the clink but the great ones find a way to steady their nerves even under tremendous pressure and i somehow rattled in this breaking three-footer for par and it turned out they weren't security guys they were just some drunks who were watching us play golf and um that was definitely the best part of my life and a treasured memory that was fun that was fun. You know, just to follow up on some of that, that, that Jeff said about how the bunkers, you know, all the balls rolled into there and before you knew it had a bunker. Now, I imagine that there really were sheep on that golf course that probably got the bunkers there in the first place. But leaving those, but with those two things in mind, Fred was saying the other day, you're going to play shots out of divots there because just for the reason Jeff said, there's so many uh, collection areas. And then I said, to, and then I said to Fred, the whole thing's a divot. And Fred's like, yeah, the whole thing's a divot. <laughs> you know, it depends on the year, and it, there are years that it's green, but at best it's pale green. I guess really, you know, as we're getting deeper in this conversation, it's the anti-Augusta National, which is a very good golf course, but, like, I don't think you can talk about Augusta National and St. Andrews in the same breath because it's pale. It loves pale. And, you know, to that phrase of Reese Jones is that scruffiness is a traditional golfing value. It's, like, such a beautiful phrase I'm saying it fast because I've used it so often. I believe it so much. But it is so hard to get people to understand because every year CBS bombards us with these spectacular images of Augusta National, green, green, green. But if we saw St. Andrews in drought conditions or, you know, dry summers, even though they do have watering on the golf course now, you know, irrigation system on the golf course now, pale is the really beautiful golf course color. And, of course, it's different in different parts of the world depending on the, on the climactic conditions. But... I wish more places really had the confidence to understand that and appreciate that and, and act accordingly. I think you have to hit off the fairways first, though. Like, you haven't hit an iron shot that felt good until you've hit it off a proper links fairway. Like, there is nothing like it. I mean, people talk about blades. I mean, blades will make a golf shot feel better, but that is a smaller jump from a cavity to a blade than it is from 
a green Augusta fairway to an old course fairway. I mean, that, that especially the first and 18th fairway, that might be the best grass that that's ever grown anywhere to hit a golf shot off. I mean, it is um, it's a feeling unlike any other. And I think if people played on turf like that, and it's not really planted, they don't put specific seeds of grass out. They think they've tested that fairway a few times and there's like 800 different sorts of fescues and clovers and different things in there and it's just it, again like the course has evolved strategically and architecturally the the turf has evolved to being perfect for golf and it's i think if you played off a little bit more often people would understand that it's not really what it looks like to play golf on it how it plays and the links fairways generally and the old course is probably the best version of it they just it's the best to play golf on it just sounds the best it feels the best it's uh it drains, it never gets wet. If it's brown or green, it doesn't matter. It's just great fun to play golf on. It's just well, And when guys like you hit a really good shot at the old course with an iron <clears throat> off the fairway, I love it's like a little puff of smoke. It's like just a little like little explosion. It's not a divot even. And it's like it just, the divot just sort of dissolves into the air. It's just, there's something that's so pleasing about that. And then, to, and then to, to that point you guys are just making, all those different grasses, well, of course – it's wind. Wind is the element, and not a, you know the the American Midwest is not blessed with wind in the uh, you know in in July and August for the most part. But the wind circulating all these different grasses, and then the sea air um, moderating the temperatures, you do have perfect conditions, and you can't create those conditions throughout the world. But to the degree that you can borrow the philosophy of it and the idea of it, and the mood of it, especially. Uh, it's neat, and it would be better if more places did it. And you sh- and it does show up in weird places. And of course, uh, one of them is Pacific Grove. You know, those those those, I, those uh, oceanside holes at Pacific Grove, they are right out of the St. Andrews playbook. The turf, the feel of it, the scruffiness of it, everything Green. about it. And they're and yeah. it's public. Ready for another old Tom <laughs> anecdote? It's been seven <laughs> minutes. Jump in, Maddie. Well, yeah, I mean. He lived to be 86 years old. He outlived his wife and five children. He woke up every morning, crossed that 18th green and first fairway, and jumped in that ocean every morning. That's the way he started his day. It's like cryotherapy. And now... Uh, Colt Nedler and I are actually in Ireland where we we've been spending the last few mornings going to the 40 foot and jumping into the North sea in the morning at like whatever temperature it is and bobbing around with a bunch of Irishmen feeling like we're old Tom Morris as we are about to embark on the St. Andrews, the week in St. Andrews. And I feel like we should be starting our day every day, you know, walking out there and, and jumping in at some point we should do it as a group. <clears throat> okay, Matt. <laughs> can, I, can I say one other thing about St. Andrews? Some of the best coffee I've ever had in my life is in St. Andrews. I mean, there's really wonderfully rich. Everything's sort of a little richer there. Uh, I think, like, I feel more aware of things when I'm there. But uh, but I'm th- I took a photograph of this cup of coffee <laughs> my last time there. I was like, man, if I could ever have a cup of coffee this this good again, I'd, I'd be so happy. Where do you, where, <laughs> Jeff, where, 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 Jeff, where have you stayed there when you've played? Where have I stayed? Oh, a few places. We've um, the Old Coast Hotel is a pretty nice place to play. Stays to play, place to stay. When you play the tournament, you just walk up eighteen, 
um, you can walk to work, you know, which is pretty nice. You can actually just walk straight across 17 and 2 because we warm up on the Eden and the new course, right? And we often use the St. Andrews Links trope, uh, clubhouse for the right. for the setup right. rather than the, the RNA one because we're not allowed in there because we're professional golfers aren't really welcome in the <laughs> RNA. Um, I think it's better now. Um, so the old course hotel's great. Um, but I've, I've, we've rented out, I've done a B&B, we've rented a house a little bit out of town. Um, so I think the Old Course Hotel, or if you can get in one of those rooms up the 18th fairway on the right-hand side near Old Tom's Shop, one of those, one, the Rusaks or something, one of those sort of places, they're pretty fantastic. They get booked out years in advance. But um, uh, I like the Old Course Hotel. There's just something about it. You've got the jigger in right there, which is fantastic. As I said, the the top floor whiskey bar is fantastic in the restaurant. We can walk to work, which is very rare in a major. We're normally in a traffic jam. Um, yeah, so that would be my pick if you're going to go to town and you can, if it's in your budget, I'd stay at the Old Coast Hotel. I would say for the people listening at home, um, there there are bucket list experiences in golf and being in St Andrews for an open as a spectator uh, would have to be at the top of the list. It's even more fun than the Masters. Um, and some of these other events, it, the old course is actually not a great spectating experience because a lot of the, they have all these double fairways, you can't get in the middle. And so you're sometimes far away from the action and, and some of the landscapes a little flat and you don't have the, the views, but despite that, they have all these great grandstands, which, which gets you up high, but more than anything, it's just the town is on fire and everyone is talking about golf and everyone is, is part of the tournament in some way. Um, listening to these guys talk about it, it just reminds me how special that week is and if, if you have if you have the chance you absolutely have to do it as a golf fan and then of course you stay on and, and you keep playing your way through scotland like that that was a trip of a lifetime but um you know a lot of these opens they t- there's there's a little town nearby that becomes kind of central to the experience but there's nothing like st andrews which is gothic and beautiful and charming and and you don't even need a car you can walk to everything so just i'm I'm still in california i'm leaving tomorrow morning to get over there and i'm like all of a sudden so incredibly excited to get to st andrews just thinking about it and talking about it. it it's such a unique and special place i'm i'm giddy i'm totally and completely giddy about what what's about to transpire visually and sort of socially that that you know like you know, the town i can't wait to immerse myself in what's about to transpire i think golf you know especially professional golf has had these ebbs and flows of zaniness over the last couple weeks and months and um i just think this is going to be such it's going to be a nice little opportunity to not unlike what the u.s open was to get back to what really matters and which is you know in theory, major championships, especially a major championship, the 150th playing of the Open Championship at the old course. Tiger Woods will be there. Phil Mickelson will be there. This band of of youngsters and and uh, they'll all be there. This is you know word at at JP McManus Pro Am that was whipping around. Uh, you know, in a way that seems to make it, you know, uh, make sense, but that this will be Tiger's last open. He's brought a big group of people over. Um, he's not doing well physically. 
um, spiritually. This, you know, couple sources I talked to, don't be surprised if he's going to have an early morning Thursday and a late afternoon Friday, and that there could be some sort of <clears throat> not necessarily Swilkin Bridge wave, but a a a tip of the cap and a you know I'm done with I'm done with opens. Um, and uh, and because this would be the place where he would do that. Yeah, that's amazing. Let, let's say this: we're going to be doing more fire drills, and we'll do one on on Wednesday when we're all over there, and we'll get into the players and the subplots, and we can talk about Greg Norman getting disinvited from the the honorary festivities and and some of the larger uh, storylines. But let's table that because this has been such a fun, romantic conversation about a place that's clearly special to all of us. I, uh, let, let's end on that note. Mike, Michael and Jeff, in, any parting thoughts just about, about St. Andrews and the old course and, and the week ahead? Um, well, eh, it's just a great tournament. And it's the, it's the oldest, it's the original golf tournament um, at the original golf course. It doesn't get any better than that. I mean, um, special. Hopefully the weather's great. It's been a little bit annoying the last, I think, 10 and 15. There were weather delays and for the wind and um, sort of takes a bit of the shine off it. Hopefully the weather is sensible and... Um, the good players play well and we get a compelling, interesting tournament. It's some um, great to watch great players play well around the old course. It's probably uh, the most attractive golf that you'll see if it gets played properly in sensible conditions. So just look forward to watching it. Wish I was there. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm very happy for all the people who are going to have the experience that we've all had. Uh, but I'm, I'm especially happy for the people who watch this open i can't believe i'm getting emotional saying this but watching this open at st andrews for the first time whether they're there in person on tv and to have the chance to fall in love with this game that shaped my life i gotta hang up this is crazy i can't believe i'm practically crying but that's how i feel about it that's it this is a fire drill podcast we're ending it with that thought um thank you all for listening we'll be doing them uh, every day from uh, from St. Andrews, uh, Jeff will be a, a part of it as much as he can. He'll be uh, actually competing at the Reno Tahoe Open, which is awesome. So if we can Shanghai Jeff a couple times, but uh, Michael and, and Matt and I will be over there and we'll, we'll try and rope in a few special guests as well. So thanks for listening uh, as, as Michael uh, heads to the airport, you know, tears in his eyes. It tells you how much this means. This guy's been doing this for a long time, but there's just something there's something special and romantic about about the Open Championship. So. This is Alan Shipnuck for Michael Bamberger, Matt Janella, Jeff Ogilvie. Thank you for listening, and uh, we'll be back. Uh, we'll be back at it soon. Put another log on the fire. Nobody here is getting tired Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 live March 20th from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City featuring a performance by John Batiste the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Whether it's your first time betting or you've been gambling for years, have a plan and know the game. 
Be aware of the rules and odds before you gamble. Set a budget and never gamble with money you can't afford to lose. Take a break and consider teaming up with trusted friends to help you stick to your budget. Remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to HelpMyGamblingProblem.org for free confidential services. Hey, hey, it's Malcolm Gladwell, host of Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Your elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive entirely its own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. 